We have found our way into the second half of the Decalogue, those ten words that the Lord gives to His people at Mount Sinai. Uh, Ten words that really are covenant obligations uh, that the Lord gives. The first four are summarized as a love for this God who has so lavished His love upon His people. And then the last six, at least how they're divided in the Reformed tradition, they focus on love for neighbors, uh, particularly uh, brothers and sisters in the Lord. So fulfilling these obligations, obedience to these commands is what would set the people of Israel apart from the nations surrounding them. What sets the true Israel of God apart today from those around it. Uh, So we've seen great value in these last uh, few weeks, the great value that God places on uh, human life, the value He places on human sexuality, and now this morning, a word on property and the stuff that God has entrusted to us as His image bearers. Uh, As we've done... Each week, I'm going to read beginning of, uh, the beginning of Exodus 20, verse 1. We'll read through verse 15 this morning. This morning, I'm going to ask you to stand with me, as I just asked you to be seated. So now I'm going to ask you to stand again uh, as we read God's Word together, uh, giving our, our attention, reverence uh, to the Word of our God. From Exodus 20, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourners within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. This is God's word to His people. Let's pray together. Lord God, what grace abounds from You that You would give us Your word that You would give us the very light of life, that You would give us Yourself, Your heart, through this Word. Lord, we pray that You would teach us now, that You would show us the great value uh, that You have placed on, on how we use what You have entrusted to us and how we honor You in this. Lord, guide our understanding now. Make us attentive. May Your, your Word go forth with power. We ask your help in this, in Jesus' name. Amen. You be seated. If you have a mailing address, you've probably received one of these little cards in the mail. It's usually from Dish Network or something, telling you that there are you know, 55 essential channels that you can receive through this special deal. In 1999, 
a month or something like that. I was looking for one in the mail this last week, and of course I didn't see one in the mail this last week, but typically not too many weeks go by and you get one of these cards that, you know, the Dish Network or another... Um, one of these networks has this deal for you. And you begin to wonder over time, you know, hurry, you know, this offer ends soon. Well, how soon is soon if you're getting one every other week or so? Um, but you never really knew, who knew that there were 50 essential channels that were essential to my life that I wasn't getting? Um, and we only get the, the four or five basic channels that come with our internet package. Um, but then you learn that the 1999 isn't, you know, there's, there's actually a catch to that. that You've got to sign the two-year contract to get that deal to begin with. And you get enough of these things in the mail, and you know, maybe you're asking the question like I do, you know, how, you know, th- these folks are out to make some money. And they're okay with using words like free and essential to pick my pocket. Is that, is that okay? Is that right? Is this just good business? Or is there something else? That's going on here and how a heart attitude is how we approach stuff and property. The way we use property, whether that stuff is our own or belongs to someone else. When we get to, to this command, the command you shall not steal, it clues us into the fact that there is stuff that belongs to someone else. Someone else has oversight that you don't or that I don't. And that needs to be acknowledged. Right up front here, I think. Um, the stuff belongs to you and not, not me. It was given to you as a gift or you worked for it and I didn't. And so it is now in your possession. So our God has a concern for physical things like land and property and other stuff. And there's careful structures and, uh, for ownership. We see this in the Old Testament. Places like Leviticus 25, Deuteronomy 25. The people are to be concerned with land transactions, redeeming of land. They're they're to use just weights and measures in their transactions. Um, Dealing with the movement of property uh, from one to another. Uh, It showed a great care for families. Care for one's neighbor. Don't steal, lie, or deal falsely with one another. It says in Leviticus 19. So what's what's really the problem here? Uh, This seems pretty straightforward. If it doesn't belong to you, don't take it. Have you ever watched the two-year-old, the three-year-old, the four-year-old who wants to play with the toy that another child is playing with? It doesn't matter who it belongs to. It doesn't matter whose hand it's in. All right? they, they're going to go after it. They're going to grab it. Okay? Stealing comes quite naturally for us. Whether you're proactively grabbing something away from someone else or you're lazily waiting for something to come that hasn't been earned, this is theft before God. And it causes, it causes grief. The one who steals food leaves another hungry. The one who steals clothes leaves another without. The one who steals people, whether that's time or, or, or freedom, brings pain to families. So that, that social order is, is threatened. Um, we fail to, to acknowledge and, and respect and work for private possession for ourselves and for others. But even deeper than this, deeper than the social order, 
and the stealing of property, it threatens our relationship to God. Selfishness, greed, jealousy, laziness. It's all alive and well right here in the human heart. Obviously in the two-year-old, but more secret, secretly, deceptively in the 22-year-old, or 52, or 82. The flesh that is doing battle with the Spirit in us wants more and more and more. And stealing then just becomes another means in which we appease this, the, the gods that we're really serving. You know, I need this to be popular. I need this to be accepted. I need this to, to be approved. And this is a way to get it somehow. Maybe you remember the case of Bernie Madoff. This was a few years ago. Bernie was a Ponzi schemer in the, the financial industry. and uh, He was lying and enticing investors to pay into companies that really didn't exist. Um, in 2009, he pled guilty to 11 federal offenses, security fraud, wire fraud, mail fraud, money laundering, making false statements, perjury, theft from benefit plans. Um, estimated he defrauded clients of $65 billion, that's a B, $65 billion over 17 years. That's a lot of stuff uh, that didn't belong to him. He was a professional stealer. And after pleading guilty, he said, I wish they would have caught me six years ago or eight years ago. So $50 billion wasn't enough. He needed more and more. Keep on stealing to feed this God of personal pleasure or status or self-rule. Just self-sufficiency. So begin to see that stealing, like all our forms of rebellion that start here in the heart, it's a strong temptation when ourselves, when people are very big in our lives and God is very small. Like, like we prayed in our confession, we, we rob God of His glory. Rob Him of His rightful worship. And we put ourselves or someone else in that place. So if we're more concerned with our status before men than we are before God, then we're tempted to steal. If we're more concerned with our reputation than we are God's reputation, we're tempted to steal. If we don't believe that God can provide and will provide what we need most, we're tempted to steal. And stealing of any kind, we'll talk some more about this, is just living in distrust living in discontentment of what God has apportioned to us or what He has not given to us. So we hear now that the need for this word, we ask our second question. We know why we need to hear this. Does Jesus really speak into this? If so, how does He fulfill a command like, you shall not steal? We think about the very presence of Jesus. The message that the kingdom of God had come in this man who was like any other man, appeared to be like any other man, but who was God like no other God, that in itself was a threat to the Roman, uh, Roman rule, the religious leaders of the time, specifically there in Jerusalem. The taxes that were collected in the temple, they brought in a pretty sizable revenue. In fact, most of the religious leaders of that time probably would be considered the millionaires uh, around us. But Jesus went after this. Went after this greed, this selfishness. 
theft. He spoke into that need to exchange the property and the stuff that doesn't last to the treasure that endures. So we could say, you know, one of the reasons why Jesus was killed was for this very reason. If he stayed alive, it meant potentially losing stuff and property, and that, that didn't go over well. So it, maybe, maybe this should be a healthy tension here, healthy surprise for us. Consider the great lengths we go to to protect stuff. The ability to acquire stuff when we've lost it. You know, I don't want to disregard the importance of insurance. I think it respects the possessions that God has entrusted. But after you consider the, the, the life and the health and the disability and the car and the house and the property, you start to run out of fingers. Um, we need to start asking, what, does it prick our conscience? What, did, what is it are we really insuring? This is stuff. This is earthly inheritance. Where are we placing our treasure? What is the real value to us? Are we really trusting in God's ownership of all things? That's what we need to remember. We, we don't own anything. We've been given possessions, real, actual possession of property, but it's owned by God and entrusted to us as His people. Um, there are so many things that can just spoil property. Earthly treasure. You know, it, can, it can get blown away, pretty strong winds we've had the last couple of days, get blown away, get burned up, it'll rot in the moisture of Arkansas as fast as anything else, uh, and get stolen. But in Jesus, there is a treasure that isn't blown away, it isn't burned up, it doesn't rot, doesn't get stolen. It's a treasure that's never lost, never loses its value. In fact, its value seems to to grow in our lives the more we let go of the earthbound stuff. Listen to the contrast here from the prophet Isaiah. The earth shall be utterly empty and utterly plundered. For the Lord has spoken this word. The earth mourns and withers. The world languishes and withers. The highest people of the earth languish. Now here in the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. That, that is a real inheritance. That is a real treasure that is kept for us. That is something we will receive. You don't have to sit here going, well, maybe, possibly. No, we will receive that in Christ. Do you know what it really is? Are you investing your life, possessions that have been entrusted to you in this lasting inheritance? Let's take a look at what it really is. You go to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 19. Deuteronomy 10 says, therefore, Levi has no portion or inheritance with his brothers. The Lord is his inheritance, as the Lord your God said to him. And if we move forward in the story a little bit to Joshua chapter 13, verse 33. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel is their inheritance, just as he said to them. So what is the inheritance? Or better said, who is 
the lasting inheritance. Who is the real treasure for the priestly tribe of Levi? It's none other than Yahweh, God Himself. He was their inheritance. My friends, that is not a bad deal. I mean, you want a few acres? <laughs> I'll give you a country. You know, that's just going to fall in utter ruin. Or do you want the owner of the ends of the earth to be for you and with you for eternity? That was the inheritance of Levi. Now again, I want to go back to 1 Peter, this time in chapter 2. It says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So the priestly inheritance, that eternal treasure that was theirs long ago, is given to all of God's people today. It is God Himself, it is Christ, who is our inheritance, who is our portion, who is our lasting joy. He is our one true and lasting treasure. When all the other stuff that we've been so concerned about for so long is gone, He remains. So we're tempted to, to steal and cheat, deal falsely. So we need to preach to ourselves. We've been given everything in Jesus. You know, how often out of fear of, of losing the lesser stuff, do we actually give up the greater joys of heaven? The greater joy of walking with our King. And growing up, I really enjoyed listening to the uh, contemporary artist Cademan's Call still like listening to them, got some good music. One of their songs has a refrain that goes, This world has nothing for me, and this world has everything. All that I could want and nothing that I need. The Lord Jesus is our inheritance. And we are His. We must value Christ, our relationship with Christ, above all else. Listen to the warning in James 5. It speaks right to the heart of this command. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying against you. Hear the stealing there? The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So I want to move now to that last question. Why do we need this? How does Jesus fulfill this? And now, how do we honor the Lord? Live in obedience to this command today. Just like you know, with the other command, as we seek to apply this to our heart, there's any, any number of angles we could approach this from. I'm going to mention just a few here. Uh, the first being a respect of persons and property. You know, something that this command does in our lives is that it, it does solidify personal ownership and, and legal possession of things. An important way for us to love each other, to love our neighbors, brothers and sisters, is to respect one another's property. So this rules out the completely communal society where everything sort of belongs to everybody else. Okay, we share generously, 
We're called to do this. We want to do this. But that is a heart attitude toward possessions and not the communal ownership of possessions. That's what we find in Acts chapter 2. We looked at this a few weeks ago. It says that the new church members, they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and giving to those in need. They could do this because there was actual private property. There was nothing in, in place that did away with that. So the Christians made their, their goods available to one another. A selfless attitude that distributed this property. We must uh, consider that dispensing what God has given to us. So being respectful of persons, property, it also means we're going to deal honestly with each other. So any type of shrewd business practices or you know, behind-the-scenes deals, overcharging, profiteering, that needs to be guarded against by God's people. You know, if I were to purchase a pack of, of bubble gum for a dollar, then I decided to sell it to Lucas for two dollars, hey, you know, i got a pretty good business going here, right? Good businessman. But, if Lucas needs this package of gum to survive, and it's the only package of gum left in Sherwood, and I decide I'm going to charge him $10 for a packet of gum that I paid a dollar for, that would be profiteering. Um, Cashing in on someone else's need. Uh, That's a form of theft. As a church, we need to, to speak into this. Preserve, be, be those preserving agents of, of truth, generosity, rather than try and grab as much as we can from the sucker who doesn't know any better. Large interest on debts that make more than a reasonable profit can be considered stealing. Not paying our debts in a timely way, stealing before God. So honest dealings in our transactions is really, uh, really important. And we need to uh, think of Labor Day and where Labor Day falls in the, in the year and really at a good time during the year where, where things are about ready to ramp up in the fall with work and school and church and so forth. And in our land where we recognize a day to appreciate the labors that are given and enjoy a little rest before jumping back in. Um, and we need to, to rest from our work. God's given us this pattern of work and rest throughout the week. Um, but we need rest. Lots of reasons we, uh, we don't rest from our work enough. But honest work is another way in which we respect the property of others, the possessions of others. Um, work allows us to share with others and not steal from them. Through our, our lack of labor, our unwillingness to labor. Now, the lazy worker, the sluggard, it says in Proverbs 6, comes to poverty. It's poverty that tempts one to steal, Proverbs 30. The church in Ephesus, Paul, he says that before the knowledge of Christ, they, lived, they, they were corrupt, deceitful. But now, with new life in Christ, he says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, we recognize there are, there are seasons of life, we know this well, uh, where work is hard to come by. We want to work, but we're not able to for some reason. Um, but the work itself is not a curse. It'll be hard, be painful at times because of the curse. But work is a service to the Lord. Um, 
mandated by him. So even the wealthy who do not need to work to, to make a living, they're called to work for the service of others. Another way that we obey this command, really to live with thankfulness, contentment, and the circumstances that, uh, that God has us in. Contentment, that's a difficult thing. Um, but when, when there is contentment, it, just, it takes an axe right to the roots of uh, stealing. All we have entrusted to us by God. Uh, it means our possessions, it means our, our bodies, that means our time, our skill sets. He apportions these things to us. 1 Thessalonians 5, the Apostle says, Be thankful in all circumstances. Later in Philippians 4, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So take, take a spiritual inventory right now. What is your level of contentment with what God has apportioned to you, with His timing in life at present? Now I admit, this, this is an area of struggle for me. You know, to be content in the ups and downs, the joys and the sadness that seem to be you know, a rhythm in life. It's hard. It's hard to be content. But I'm comforted. I pray you're comforted with me that the one who knows, the one who has a portion, knows what we need. He knows exactly what we need in our relationship to Him at all times and will provide for that. So keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Finally, heart of this command tells us we're not to steal, but we're to, we're to do the opposite. Be about the opposite. We must be those who are serving, giving of what's been entrusted to us. And we can give generously because we have all things in Christ, our greatest treasure. We're caretakers. We're passing along the stuff. Moving things through for the good of the kingdom. We practiced this as a church a few months ago and we had our yard sale out here. Many of you went into the attics, closets, garages and you moved stuff out. Anyone could come and, and whatever they wanted to give, they could, could take those things. I've got a nice mug in my office that one of you is passing along in attempts to, to keep me hydrated, so I appreciate that. But what possessions can you pass along? You know, think of the stuff that's there, but it's simply there. It's been there for a long time. And let's not steal. Let's give where these items are needed, useful. And I understand completely the desire to save. I mean, really, the, the dish, the blanket, the toy, it could come in handy for some other time, right? We get that. I was thinking, I was sharing with the guys this weekend, thinking about the, the agricultural community that many of you, you know, farms that some of you were, were raised on, you didn't get rid of anything. You kept it all. Um, you know, to be resourceful, to be honest, this is, this is good. But take inventory. Are we, are we hoarders or are we being responsible managers? Uh, every piece of property, every minute of our time, will be accountable uh, to the Lord for these resources. Um, let's be thinking about how we can serve in the church, in the community. How we could potentially serve. About a year ago, uh, many of you filled out a survey that the, the deacons collected and, and helped the leadership understand ways in which you're interested in serving. And that, that not only helped the leadership, but it was also a help, hope to us as a congregation to explore ways that we can serve. Um, maybe we'll do this again or make that, that survey available. 
But that really combats the mentality that you have no more to give or, or no way in which you can, can serve. I think it can be easy at times for us to think, you know, I've, I've put in my time, especially if you served in the church for a longer period of time. You say, you know what, it's, it's time for, you know, for new folks or younger folks to take over. And again, recognizing there are those seasons, things that may require the, the energy strength of, of the younger years. But we never retire from service to the body of Christ. We don't pull over on the side of the road and just kind of watch everybody go, we may change lanes in this journey. But we're continuing to serve, maturing together in Christ. I'd love to talk with you anytime about how you could use your your interests, your skills and service at home, here at the church, in the community. Love to talk about those things. Close with this. There's a little town in Alabama. It's northeast of Birmingham called Atala. Never been through Atala. Maybe some of you know where that is. But there were two young people who were caught shoplifting from the Walmart in Atala. And I thought the judge's sentence was unique and really quite effective if... The underlying reason for stealing is that people are big and God is small. Uh, These two shoplifters uh, were required to stand outside Walmart with a sign that said, I am a thief, I stole from Walmart. In in our sinfulness, we are all wearing signs like that. Um, We're all thieves that have stolen from God that have robbed him of his glory. But Jesus, Jesus has removed those signs. Okay, bound to him in faith, we are no longer identified as thieves or identified as free men and women. Free to give and to serve just as he has done. So consider how the Lord gives us what we need, gives us all that we will ever need. In Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we hear these words and we ask you to apply them to our hearts and our minds as we go into this week and consider all that you've entrusted to us. Lord, our sin-scarred hearts are bent on grabbing for more. Guard our hearts. Work in us a desire for the opposite, to give generously, to see that all all that we have has been entrusted to us by your hand. Lord, may we faithfully move it along for the glory of Christ. Help us not to hold on too tightly to that which does blow away or burn or is stolen or rotten, to the treasure that endures. You, O oh Christ, are our eternal inheritance, and that is worth our every investment. We pray this. In your name, in Jesus' name, amen.